Welcome back to another episode of The Sacred Spot, a podcast that seeks to provide a brave, open, welcoming, and affirming space for black faith practitioners and higher ed professionals to develop restorative practices rooted in healing and wholeness from an African diaspora-centered perspective. This week's episode is titled Queer in the Sacred Spot, where Raquel sits down with Chaplain Q, uh, who is a chaplain in Brooklyn, and Indira Yudofia, a mental health practitioner, both working at the height of the pandemic. During this episode, they talk about Free Zone for Us, which is a sacred space for queer, trans people of color in NYC that is created by Chaplain Q and Sanctuary of the Healing, which seeks to do work around religious trauma healing created by Indira. This episode includes everything from drink mixtures to vocational call. You will not regret it. Sit back, relax, and journey with us as we go to the sacred spot. to the sacred spot we are so glad to be with you again i know we took a few weeks off had a couple birthdays couple holidays the end of the semester a lot is going on but we are excited to be back we got uh, maybe one or two more episodes before we'll close out this season and we'll hit you back in the spring because it's a cold winter so we got to bundle up so we'll hit you somewhere around march april post easter we're gonna wait till you rise up for the resurrection and then we'll come back with a couple more episodes but i am so excited about today's episode we have been planning and thinking through kind of things we wanted to talk about, um, topics we wanted to get into. And one of the things that, you know, we really wanted to do was make the sacred spot a space where we could just invite our friends, our homies, people who are doing dope stuff um, in their own respective fields and in our own respective worlds and just have them on to talk about the dope stuff that they're doing. So I'm really glad to be joined by two of my good friends over now who are doing great work. And full disclosure, we planned this episode probably uh, about a month and a half to two months ago. Oh, we're not. It is so interesting and fascinating what we're finding with hosting a podcast, how sometimes the stuff you plan to talk about anyway already makes its way into uh, pop culture, into um, black church culture, or not into some of the circles that we already navigate. Uh, so it'll be an interesting and timely conversation, particularly with some of the larger conversations that are happening right now. And we may get into that a little bit. But I'm joined by two of my good friends, uh, Indira Udofia, who is a PhD student in Greensboro. She is also a licensed clinical social worker, a mental health practitioner, and she is the founder of Sanctuary of the Seeking. So she's going to be helping me to co-facilitate a great conversation um, with Chaplain Q Haley. Okay. Q uh, is a graduate of Union Theological Seminary. She's a native of Cincinnati, Ohio, which I always think is interesting. When I heard they got some good chili, well, I don't know what else they got in Cincy or whatever, but, <laughs> but we'll find out or not. But she's also serving, I, you know, what I think is really significant is, you know, Q has been serving as a chaplain for um, a while now, really just kind of graduating with her residency, but really all throughout this pandemic as we battle COVID-19 in 2020. So I just thought it was really great to bring her on. And she's also the founder of Free Zone, 
um, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, we'll talk about, you know, the great work that they're doing there. So we're titling this episode, Queering the Sacred Spot, and we'll kind of get into, you know, why that is and why we want to do that. Dustin, I know you're, y'all waiting on this voice, like, where is he at? Where is he at? My man is a PhD student himself. He's a, he's clergy, a campus minister. He's a business owner, entrepreneur, shameless plug. Y'all go look up the Scatter Shop, buy your Christmas stuff, your Christmas items, get your little holiday boxes. So my man's got a lot going on. So I told him to continue to take some time off. And I told him I would just hang with my homies, just bring them on. And so, and they're also bartenders. I forgot to mention. So I'm gonna have them to share what they sipping on because they actually know how to mix up some good drinks or whatnot. So this is gonna be a fun episode. So I hope y'all enjoy and just sit back, relax, and just, you know, I hope it's, you know, enjoyable to you. So let's start with Endira. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do. I kind of explained it a little bit, what led you to it. And then also tell us what you're sipping on. What did you mix together? Because I know, you know, Indy used to mix drinks for a living or whatnot, you know. So I really want to know, you know, what's your recipe, what you, you know, what you put together. Yes. So um, my, thank you so much for having me. My name is Adira Eudopia. My pronouns are she and they. Um, and I am a PhD student in social work. Um, I just finished my first semester. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Teaching this semester too in COVID-19. It was ghetto, but we made it. She was bothering my babies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're built different. These, this generation is built different. Um, yeah, so I started Sanctuary of the Seeking as kind of like a collective, collaborative educational space to, for folks who are trying to figure out spirituality, figure out their spiritual trajectories after spiritual harm, um, a religious-based harm. So um, my research topic is about spiritual trauma in the Black church, how um, spiritual trauma impacts identity formation and community politics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was very important to have a praxis um, that was lived out in an intervention space that I could kind of do this type of work of counseling, coaching, and consulting with faith leaders. also a therapist because you know bivocational being black and queer and baptist does not pay bills so mama needed actual hustle (laughs) so um i am also the proud uh owner of imu consulting and counseling where i provide individual counseling and um corporate cult, um, wellness consultations. So that's a little bit about me. And I am sipping on an herbal limeade from Vita Chicken, which has mint, rosemary, lime, and basil. And I put it with some legent bourbon, which is a Kentucky straight bourbon that's made with Japanese preparation. So it's really, really crisp and clean. Wow. Um, just refreshing. I'm going to muddle some cucumber in it a little bit and really just set it off. Wow, that's my love. Yeah, ain't no bourbon is mine. That's mine <laughs> all day. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Oh, and not wow. Okay, awesome, awesome. You talking about this a little bit of what? I, that's a lot of what you're doing. So as you can see, Indira is 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 doing it all, and so I think she's gonna add a lot to the conversation. What about you, Q? What's up? How's it going? Hey, how y'all doing? I am. Uh, as you said, I'm a chaplain at a hospital in Brooklyn, New York, right now. Um, staff chaplain as of August after two years of residency, um, hard to get here. Um, I also started uh, Free Zone for Us, which is a sacred space for cutie pop folks, uh, queer queer trans people of color. Um, And that came about because I was sitting actually at a friend's house having pancakes. um, And it was myself and 
two trans folks and a non-binary person and we was just talking about church hurt and harm and and how you know that ostracizes you and 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 and, and makes you feel alone mm -hmm. and uh i started thinking about how the sacred showed up in that moment as we were gathering together and how i wanted to cultivate that for other folks you know mm -hmm. people who you know necessarily don't you don't have to believe in god for spirit or god to show up in the midst you know ancestors mm -hmm. uh the universe whatever you believe in so i wanted to create spaces like that and uh so I did, um, and that's how Free Zone for Us came about, honestly. And uh, for me, uh, chaplaincy has been something that I've always done. I started out as a peer advocate, a community bridger. Um, I worked on five psych units in Massachusetts through an organization called Western Mass uh, Recovery Learning Community. And I was leading groups such as uh, Alternatives to Suicide and Hearing Voices which you know are creative modalities around how do we deal with tumultuous trauma trauma moments in our lives and mm -hmm. and you know the alta sue group which i'm actually getting ready that's about to be my next endeavor through free zone for us i've been doing groups on the side quietly but i want it specifically for queer and trans people of color so i was trying to figure out what's the best way to put that out there right now so that's that's what i'm in the process of doing with free zone now um and it's a charter of the western mass recovery learning community who created um alternatives to suicide groups that's how, but, you, that's how you got east from uh college right or not yeah yeah okay. so it was a community-based learning um organization that i worked with that i found through mount holyoke when i was at undergrad wow um and ended up staying on there the whole time that I was at Mount Holyoke. They hired me on as a community bridger. Wow. Um, I just got deeper into peer supports. You know, as somebody who suffers with mental health issues, mm. it was easy for me to be an advocate and serve and, and utilize pieces of myself, which also is what I do in chaplaincy as well. You know, I utilize pieces of myself to show up for people and hold space and um, mm. provide support. So all of the things, what I'm realizing, all of the work that I do is based on the things that I've been through in my life. Um, so God has allowed me to use the tools that, you know, the more difficult things in life that most people try and shun or stay away from or, or not speak, of on, speak on, those are tools that actually engage my work heavily. So. Thanks. Wow, that's awesome. What you sipping on, Q? Oh, I went easy today. Um, I'm doing... It's a. It's somebody brought me this this bourbon. Um, so normally I'm a I'm a redemption bourbon person. You know, I, I just started doing the rye. The rye is actually kind of good now. Really? But, yeah, I'm I'm starting to feel the rye a little more. I know I know we we regular just bourbon folks, but um, <laughs> this is St. John's bourbon, and and I went I went real simple and cheap with some Arizona peach tea because I wanted oh, some, peach, you know, peach infused and I didn't have time to go get peaches and do all that. And they not in season anyway. So, because <laughs> you know, I feel like you put me on to the, to the, the peach redemption or it was something. It was a, yeah. it was yeah, a kind of little different hint of it than what I'm used to. So, oh, and so you're, you're a peachy kind of uh, person <laughs> when it comes I think to it's wise. Oh, okay. But I think it's a mood thing. Okay, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's what's up. No, I think, you know, and what you were just saying, it, it matters. Because I think, you know, that was one of the main questions I wanted to ask or whatnot. You know, you both, you know, Q, you get started. As a chaplain, right, 
And I remember we, I think we zoomed around like August, right? We just started, um, you know, full time after your residency, and you're just talking about all the things that you had really learned thus far <laughs> when not, um, you know, in the pandemic, of course, as we're still experiencing it or whatnot. And I know you was even thinking about um, publishing a piece or whatnot, you know, um, and I'm hoping you go through with that or whatnot. But what would you say, you know, because this is a show it's for higher ed professionals, but it also is for faith practitioners, right? For those who, um, you know, consider themselves to be, you know, uh, those who help folks navigate and make meaning out of life and out of the world, right? Or not. So, what do you feel that uh, that that faith practitioners uh, should be learning about trauma informed care, right? Or whatnot. Um, and, you know, and then you know, you can even explain it for sure. Or whatnot. To both of you, as, as a as a as a chaplain at the epicenter of this pandemic, and also as a mental health professional, we're seeing how lockdown is really affecting folks mentally like i mean i think y'all's profession is getting so much business or not um and to the point where it's even overwhelming many of our mental health professionals or not from you know from particularly at on my campus or when i know counseling services is very overwhelmed right now um and so you know what is you know why is that important to have trauma-informed because growing up in black church we didn't hear about it as much right when you think about our experiences or whatnot even in it sometimes with that everything is a bit overstimulating it can be you know a lot have we don't really know those words right or not but we always knew of the church mother who she was just always calm and always at church candy or whatnot could always kind of quiet us or whatnot rub our backs and different things like that they may not have had the language um but there was always somebody who knew how to provide that kind of care or not so what is it and why is it important you know and how has this pandemic kind of helped you to navigate that of how to you know care for people in that way who are surviving trauma mm -hmm. a lot of questions sorry no, <laughs> good. um q do you want to go first or you want me to kind of I can do the nerdy thing and talk the trauma a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that probably be okay. good. So trauma-informed care, right, is this framework that is centered around five major components, right, which is safety, choice, collaboration, trustworthiness, and empowerment. And so when we think about trauma-informed care, it's about how do we do on a systematic on a macro and microcosm level, how do we cultivate these five type of five types of principles, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the major things that COVID-19 is teaching us, right, is that we really don't have an ethic of care in general mm -hmm. when it comes to how we orient our communities, how we orient ourselves, how we build relationships. It has been so rooted in our understanding of capitalism that we actually don't know what it means to actually like care for one another and so a lot of this season has turned into now that i can't produce in the way or function in the way or pretend that the my framework or my life has moved in a capacity that is befitting what is productive and meaningful as a society who am i what does that mean like what does what does feeling at home in myself mean or look like? And so my major concern um, outside of just my role as a therapist is with faith practitioners is, are you acknowledging that you are, are that you are traumatized as well? That as you are interacting mm. in these spaces, as you are moving through this time, that you are experiencing trauma as well. And I think we don't give faith practitioners enough leadway or enough latitude to understand their humanity enough because we're so busy playing the role of pastor that we actually forget that we're people behind the call. And so, you know, for me, a lot of this is like 
the agency to choose humanity, which means that you don't have to be on Zoom every Zoom and Facebook Live every single week preaching and teaching if you burned out. You know, they got to have a cash app at the bottom of stuff. You know, you don't have to be going to the COVID unit to lay hands on the sick because they got a positive test. Like you need to be safe, right? Mm -hmm. And if you practice and prioritize yourself and safety and build that ethic of care within yourself, then that teaches the community that they have permission to do the same things, right? Like they have permission to show up for their neighbors and not put themselves in harm's way in order to show up for myself. A really close friend of mine you know, got COVID-19 and I dropped off groceries in front of their door I wasn't sitting there laying hands on them or going in there and preparing meals because I safety, my safety helps your safety, right? And so if if we're gonna collaborate and be and show care and show aid to each other, I have to be safe. Opening up churches during a spike ain't safe. Period. I know I I want to smell a baby so bad. I want to cuddle a baby so bad, but it's not safe, right? And so, like, this idea of how do we look beyond the things that we, you know, that are just make us church or we put so much power on God and God's asking us to use wisdom. And I just wish that people would collaborate with God more to use the common sense that God gave us. <laughs> Thank you. You've been holding that in for a while. I have. <laughs> I have. I had to get that off my chest yes. because that's part of it. Well, it's all like, good. All, all very it's triggering to yeah, watch no. people like continuously. And you know, I'm in North Carolina. It's dehumanizing. And it's dehumanizing. Yeah. And it's in North Carolina where it's like, you know, we're just going to go and praise in the park and ain't nobody got a mask on and everybody's stepping outside of their car and shouting and the ushers are still ushering. That ain't wisdom. Yeah. And so I think, you know, when we're thinking about what does it mean to do trauma in court? Like, can I trust you with myself? Being trustworthy means having common sense. It means prioritizing safety. It means collaborating with the government structures and not trying to buck up against them and have a praise in the park that defies the logic. Like, there's, it's, and it's empowering people to choose to do the right thing, except for the traditional and the most expedient thing. It's all mm -hmm. in the time. Mm. So. Mm. That's it. There. That's, that's my soapbox, and I'm I'm off. That. No, that is good. <laughs> you you can tag team because I'm pretty sure. I, look, I got are. some things too. I got some things too. So <laughs> I know first. So from me, but paint like the good. picture because I mean the picture you painted for me in August was it hit like you know like wow like you know we're seeing it but we ain't seeing it from the perspective of you know folks that's walking through them halls and it's like when we tell y'all stay in the house like for real. Like, you don't want to see this, like, you know. Um. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, you know, when we're talking about trauma-informed, we all are living through collective trauma, right? We all are living through collective grief. Even if we haven't lost anyone to COVID, like, we know someone who's lost someone to COVID. We see the numbers pop up every day, mm. you know, and the difference is when you're somebody who works in these halls every day, the figures that they're showing on the news become real because they're faces and their names. And I think, you know, one thing that I'm grateful for with my church is that, you know, Concord Baptist Church, they're, we're really good about putting names to people that are lost. And I think mm -hmm. that's important. You know, how are we honoring the dead? Mm. How are we not trying to avoid the fact that people are dying? How, mm. how are we giving voice to those who we're losing? 
Um, I think that's important to, to even recognize that we are sitting in this collective grief. Um, is, Do you feel is like we have grieved as a, you know, society? No. No. That's what I'm no. fearful of. Even at the time, no. of recording, you know, even at the time of recording right now, they're saying in the next few hours, they, you know, supposed to be voting on approving the Pfizer vaccine, the vaccine and stuff like that. And that's one thing, you know, that I think I was talking with some students, you know, about or whatnot and just like how one one of them, you know, I thought it was so profound. He was like, you know, it's almost like once we get that vaccine, it'll jump from, and I mean, of course, this is kind of simplistic, I guess, but we'll jump from trying to survive this to now actually like grieving this. Like, you know, like you recognize, you know, family members who, yeah, like they're not going to be here or whatnot, or, you know, relative, you know, all these different, all these people who have died or whatnot. And now, you know, because our focus is not strictly and solely on survival, you know, that's when all of that grief is really going to hit um, or whatnot when we get to the other side of this or whatnot. And I was like, that's, that's really something to think about. I was, I would always say like, you know, the, the first, I guess first few months of the summer when things kind of started dwindling down a little bit and we were still kind of, there's been tension and stress the whole time because we're waiting for the second wave, right? And then we watched here specifically, I'm talking, when I'm talking about we, I'm talking about my hospital. We, we were watching as the world is like, you know, catching up to where we were in the beginning um, and just waiting Mm. Well, these numbers are start increasing, which has happened over the last month or so. And it's, it's been, it's been triggering. Like I had my first call the other day again, where I had to call a family member who couldn't be there in the moment of death mm. and the screams happened and the phone dropped and the screams happened and then she hung up. And it's like, you know, if I'm not someone who hasn't gone through this already, if I'm a new chaplain resident coming in, if I'm somebody who hasn't experienced these screams from the first wave, I would have been at a loss and, and thought it was me because it, it's that like jarring, mm. you know, and instantly like, I don't like using the word triggered, but I was triggered. Like I had to recognize and, and, and honor the fact that and name the fact that I was triggered because I instantly was taken back to March. I was in, in an instant. And, you know, I go around and I talk to the nurses and staff. And as we see these numbers increase and we see more people come in, it's, it's like we're on pins and needles. You know, because wow. when you're watching and we were, we were fortunate <laughs> and this is sad to say, we were fortunate to only have 20 to 30 people dying a day, mm. you know, mm. where, and, and only have two refrigerator trucks outside of our building, you know, in our ED bay. There were some hospitals in the area that had five or six, mm. you yeah. know, so, so one of the things that I've been thinking through as far as the church goes is like, okay. Who are the people that can hold space for, for the simple things? Like people, not simple, but for, for the more micro things, like people are, are turning to drinking, people are turning to drugs, people are turning to unhealthy ways of coping that they never did before because what the hell else is there to do? Sorry. But like, no, no, we, we, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so you can't sit there and preach sin. <laughs> because people are surviving so how do we speak to the things that people are doing to survive mm. how do we hold space for the ways in which people are surviving and another thing that's really coming up for me is like i i deal with i'm i'm drawn to death i find a lot of life in death um <laughs> i am not the person you want to bring to a dinner party and have a conversation with because i'm going to talk about death and dying like that is my bag um, <laughs> 
but one of the things that I'm realizing that's necessary for our churches is how do we have conversations about end of life? How do we have conversations mm. about goals of care at end of I life? Bet. Ahead of time, preemptively. Like, how yeah, are we? Right there. Who can we? Who can we call on in our church that can do those things? We have funeral directors. We have chaplains. We have people who can speak to. Okay, this is how you have a conversation with your loved one before they end up in the hospital, yep. and you have to make the decision to, you know, There's intubate so many people who or do compressions yep. or. If you nothing know. else, you, I mean, you should have been having those conversations, you know, if you are, you know, here, you know, I mean, really talking about what your loved one wants and what they don't want, <laughs> um, what you want and what you don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you just find so many folks who have just been completely, you know, um, even now, you know, just still being completely avoidant. Or whatnot. And I get it because it's difficult to talk or whatnot, but I tell you, you know, and that thing is what me and Q was talking about, you know, like the only thing that got me through my, you know, my father's death, our family, I think through my, you know, is that he had been very explicit <laughs> about what he wanted. Don't y'all do this blah, blah, blah to me. Or whatnot. <laughs> like, <laughs> the hell out my face and let me go. Or whatnot. Like, or whatnot. You know, he had, he had made, clearly laid out what he wanted done to his body and ways in which he did not want, you know, his body to be prodded with um, or whatnot, you know. Um, and you know, and dad gives you a it, it, it's heartbreaking and it's devastating, but it sure enough gives you a peace or whatnot that you know that you are honoring or whatnot that person's wishes or whatnot. Um, and it's you know, even as for as as as, as selfless, it, it takes selflessness or whatnot. But so many people, like you say, in churches, we need to be learning how to facilitate. It was very interesting to me that at the height of that pandemic, you know, that wasn't. You know stuff that when nobody doing zooms on that oh and that's not the judge or whatnot but you know but people were not you know were not really talking about you know like how to facilitate these conversations with your loved ones about what they want in the event that they are or were not intubated you know in the event that they or were not are on a ventilator they cannot communicate with you or whatnot you know saying what are these different you know would they want kidney dialysis would they want to remain on these things would they want to you know like none of that was going on so i think that's a very vital point or whatnot of how do we do end of life care or whatnot you know i know folks who didn't even know what that meant they didn't even know what a palliative care nurse was or whatnot until COVID or whatnot, you know, or whatnot, you know, and having somebody come and talk to them and they're like, I don't know what this is or what this means. And you haven't explained to them that like, this is typically what that's signifying um, or whatnot. And so that's, that's a real point. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know. <laughs> no, it's all right. Yes, it, it, along with that is insurance. Like, yes. Do you have insurance? How are people expect? And, and COVID has really exposed this, you know, because people are dying like instantly you know before it's it's quick or it could be long and drawn out the same thing you brought up dialysis like the way that i've i've witnessed covid manifest in black and brown folks it 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 messes with the organs when it gets to the intensive care unit you know what i mean there are all sorts of things that happen to the body when that can, not every black person, not every person of color, but I have witnessed a lot of people of color, a lot of black folks have all sorts of modalities in their body just shut down. And I remember in the beginning, they were like, what's happening? They didn't, they didn't understand, you know, until people started doing more research and, and, and seeing that symptoms manifest differently in different folks. But 
Okay. Yeah, that, that's so important to have that conversation. Would you want all of these things done to you? And and what is your quality of life? Like, yes. what is your quality of life going to be like? Yes. Can, can, can I come back from this? My mom and I, my mom is a flight attendant. And uh, my mom and I had to have this conversation. She was like, my paperwork is with the landlord and it has your name on it. Mm. So the landlord knows that if anything happens to me. And, and then it turned into a conversation of like, okay, what do you want? You know, mm. and it was uncomfortable, but at the end of it, I felt good because I don't, my mom lives in Detroit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm in mm -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. You know, if I have to be on the phone because we, I can't be with her in this moment, I need to be able to tell them what she wants. Mm -hmm. And that's the way a lot of stuff is happening now is that people are in California and wherever else and trying to advocate on behalf of their loved one, not knowing what they want. Wow. That we can't physically be together. Yeah, the the idea of having to like navigate technology, navigate time and space, trying to, you know, have figure out where things are, and you know, folks don't want to talk about what they have on the deck, or you know, especially with people with more chronic health issues that may not want to talk mm -hmm. about it. You That's know, true. a lot of these like conversations happen, and when I was when I got out of Boston, I worked for like a research study that did advanced care planning for a, a clinic. And I remember having these conversations where like, well, I don't want to worry so-and-so. And I said, you can worry them in life or you can worry them in death. Either way, they're going to be worried. Mm -hmm. Like, and so like this idea of giving people permission to show up for you, right? Because again, this goes back to, we don't know how to actually teach people what community is supposed to do. Hmm. And what the function of community is and how community is supposed to show up. And so we just believe that because we may need someone to speak when we can't speak, that that's a burden when that's the, that's the call of community. Mm -hmm. And it's biblical, right? Like we, there are many stories in the Old Testament in which someone knows they're reaching the end and they get, they what? They get their affairs in order. They say, who's getting what? They're talking about who gets their inheritance. They're talking about who gets blessed with what, what needs to move on. What has God said about the next phase of their journey? So if there, there are roadmaps, but instead of thinking about that and using this time to really teach people how it is not a, that advanced care planning is not a lack of faith. It's more of Come on. Come on. continuing one's faith, right? That your life exists outside of you. And so if you can make a plan for your transition, when you go into the ancestral plane, if you are someone who believes in that, or you become a great host of wit hall of witnesses, according to Hebrew, whatever that looks like, you got to be able to to, to give the instructions so that the next generation can run on and see what the end's gonna be. But if you don't do that, they're gonna be squabbling over who gets what, and that's how things get fractured. And that's how death gets ugly, when it's supposed to be a thing of community and belonging and togetherness. Lord, we did, I, I didn't mean to get into, you know, and no, this, I think and it's, it's very timely. You know, I have my sister cousin here, and, when I, and you know, and today's the anniversary of her mother's death. But I even think about, the ways in which my aunt, my grandmother, my father, like, you know, all those folks, my side, we think, you know, and it felt so morbid <laughs> in my, like, you know, why are they always like, or not, or not, but the ways in which they really saw that that's the best for, for some black people, that's the best gift I can give to you or whatnot. Um, for some black people, that's the, you know, my, in a monetary sense or whatnot, you know, 
they in this world, and I hate to put it in capitalistic terms, but they, you know, they almost are, you know, become worth more in death and in life or whatnot. And you see how when they have set up those ways in which or whatnot to care for you or whatnot, years and years and years and years after they are no longer on this side or whatnot. And like that is just one of the greatest acts of love. Right, that you can get to your children, that you can get to your family members or whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Is is for them to not have to sit and like like worry and stress over or whatnot how to handle your affairs, right? How to take care of your estate or whatnot, you know, how to pay off your you know, or whatnot. Like that's one of the and you know, it's not sexy to talk about or whatnot. It ain't cute, you know, or whatnot. We don't but but it's it's so real to talk about or whatnot, you know, because I you know, I just feel like you know, I was put in a position that so many of my friends were not, so many of my colleagues were not or whatnot because you know when they lost family members when they really had to figure out like how to you know how to bury them they had to figure out or whatnot like you know you know how to do you know um you know how to pay off old debt no bills and stuff like that or whatnot and it's just like it's it it's such an act of love oh and you know to be able to do that when you have the time to sit and do that and like you say like that's what community like that's what real you talk about community and you talk about family um and you know and that's what it's supposed to be about or whatnot so i really hope Hope somebody hearing this take some time you we in the house anyway <laughs> like sit down or whatnot you know and like Indira said sometimes even in our communities too you know people are not relaying how sick they are or whatnot you know people are not you know people have all kinds of stuff going in their bodies or whatnot you know sometimes we don't even know how sick we are or whatnot there, you know all this stuff was going around of you know I don't have no pre-existing you know I'm, I'm you don't know how sick you are till you get there you know or whatnot to the, you know to the hospital for so many of us or whatnot you know and so just taking that time and taking that opportunity you to do that and i just really want to encourage you to do that whatnot because it, it means a world of care or whatnot and so i am I'm, I'm glad the conversation went there because i think that's necessary and i'm thinking about two or three people that i know who i you know we done had them kind of talks or whatnot where you know i'm you know mom you know mom got cancer or, or this or that and i'm like try to sit down and do what you can now or whatnot so that you can honor your loved one the way you want to do it so that matters and you know and that's important for sure but you do it for yourself because yes. COVID right. is for not you, a response yeah we're others. not yeah exactly right like, not immortal as in yeah. Keep, yeah i mean no. i I told my mom straight up, I was like, you are not my emergency contact. My emergency contact is my best friend, Mike. Mm. Um, shout out to my bestie with testes because I can't trust you mm. to honor my decision. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And we had to have a conversation about that. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, because there's a certain line and I know you will cross it. You'd be like, because the mama's yeah, gonna y'all gotta do exactly right <laughs> and so you got the you have to when you're doing this you have to ask like these are my plans are you comfortable with executing right. it? like mm -hmm. it's important to name that because like if not you might need to find you know your older sister or one of your cousins that you're close to to be that person to make the calls on your behalf Mm -hmm. you know and name that to for your parents so your parents are not like looking at your cousin when they're calling the shots and then like because, yeah you know the I just, suffering that that causes too is like it, it's ungodly it's, yeah there's no other way to put it it's ungodly like, well, miss valerie i ain't got nothing to do with that because you make it you make some good food and i still i want a plate this time because i'll do it so indira <laughs> removing you as her emergency contact it got nothing to do with me I just years make ago we did this years ago she's fine <laughs> for sure but but moving even you know from that space of, of, of death you know into 
um, some real life-giving spaces that y'all have created and curated, right? Um, you know, and again, recently, you know, this is December 2020 that we're recording this now, and it's been, you know, a lot of conversations, particularly around gentlemen from, from the Walls group or whatnot, um, young brother who, you know, had a, um, a situation or whatnot uh, where, uh, you know, he was engaging with his partner or whatnot. Really cute moment, <laughs> innocent moment. Um, and, you know, uh, posted it on his close friends on Instagram, which some, yeah, everybody ain't, mm-hmm. ain't a close friend or whatnot. Um, and, 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 you know, and it leaked to, to these Christian, you know, blogs or whatever, or just blogs in general. Um, and so it just led to a whole bunch of conversation, which, you know, we have to get into, I watched a great one, um, the, the Bishop Flunder and, um, beyond the gatekeepers i can uh the other bishop uh amazing sister uh in jersey or whatnot but they did an amazing conversation based off of that letter that um darnell moore um ahmad um green hayes and a couple other brothers wrote to daryl walls and it's a beautiful letter i encourage you to check it out i encourage you to check it out on youtube or whatnot that conversation that they had i mean it was super dope you know them really talking about getting into the black church of sexuality so don't really have to talk about you know daryl walls as much or whatnot definitely love to that brother praying for that brother or whatnot and hope he's surrounded by love and care or whatnot but you know, even speaking from that place, right? What led you to create these spaces, you know, where, you know, uh, queer folks or we're not trans folks or we're not, um, you know, where those who, you know, uh, we talked about church hurt and I would love to hear, cause I think both of y'all have mentioned it kind of in your story. So I would love to hear y'all expound on it some more or whatnot, but what led y'all to create these healing spaces, right? Um, you know, how are they, you know, curating healing, right? In ways that traditional religious communities, churches, um, you know, in ways that they're not doing it, right? Um, you know, cause we talk about it a little bit kind of, on the sacred spot or whatnot, but it'd be good to hear y'all get into it. Like, you know, you said that you were eating pancakes and you were sitting and you recognized that it was healing, but what was it like before that moment, before, you know, they said, this is something I need to do. And I would love to hear Indira, you know, with Sanctuary to Seeking as well. So I, um, for me, I guess in that time, so I got, what was it, 2015? I, uh, was in a relationship at that time and went and told my father, who's a pastor, that, you know, this is who I am. I'm a queer woman. <laughs> this is who I've always been. And I've been in the closet hiding myself for years now. And your father, your father's pretty, I mean, successful pastor, you know, I mean, anybody who's doing this work is successful. Let me just, like, who's doing the call, let me stop it. They are like, I'm not, cause we can draw it. But you, anyways, but your father, you know, it ain't, you know, yeah, your father had a, had a pretty substantial career. As we yeah. Know. You know, president of the, the state convention and all those yeah. things. And, and yeah, like people know him a little bit. Um, so went and told him, you know, he was like, oh, we knew this. Cool. Whatever. And, and um, a Thursday after class, it was like, you know, what you get out of class, like 1250 or whatever. So <laughs> I got out of class and, and got a text message and was like, oh, I need you to bring your license home. Mm. Like, I'm thinking, you know, oh, what y'all need? What y'all doing? Y'all doing some insurance stuff or something like that? Like, you need my driver's license? He's like, no, your preaching license. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. for what? Like, um, so he... Uh, took my license away and, and said that I played him. I did a, a series with uh, some preachers at Union who went to his church, which is also called, anyway, went to his church. And, uh, and um, 
uh, what, who was it? Me, three of the people who preached were queer. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't say that out, but I didn't feel the need to say that. It's not my place to say that. I'm not outing anyone. I'm not, you know, that's not, if somebody wants to tell him their truth, then that's their prerogative. That's not my job to do. Mm. Um, and so he took my preaching license away and I was really like, it was, you know, my first year of seminary. So this is somebody who I looked up to wow. as far as a mentor, as far as a, a pastor, as far as a, you know, religious figure. And I was wrecked mm. and I was looking for community and I was looking for confidence and, and whatever else you could, you could name. Um, and, and it took me two years to find that. And, you know, I found that in some folks at union and started talking to some people who were looking for the same thing, looking for a place of healing, looking for a place where you could form community and looking for a place where it felt like fictive kinships were forming, you know, Mm -hmm. communal family space, you know, chosen family. So, and then the other piece that kept coming up is, you know, there, everything happens at a party. <laughs> you know, we, we love a party. We love to go out. I, know, I love to sit on a stool. I ain't gonna lie. I'll sit on a stool or be behind serving people sitting on a stool. I was gonna say, you cook too, so yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do like that. <laughs> I, like to, I like to entertain, which is why my mental health is not great right now, because I can't. Um, but um, yeah, so, you know, I got to talking to people at Union and, and, and some other people in community, and they were looking for a similar, a similar space. Um, mm. And I was also thinking through, what was I going to do my thesis on? Mm. Um, so I came up with something called the Sacred Queer Imagination, mm. um, using uh, Dr. Emily Towns, and uh to uh, what was it nikki my mind is failing me right now to lathia nikki i can't remember her last name yeah 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 uh, you know you know what i'm talking about yes yes uh god now uh, now it's gonna yeah. we'll get it and right. put it in the notes young to lathia nikki young okay and she wrote black queer ethics um and philosophical imagination or something like that family black queer ethics family and the philosophical imagination um so i put this together and that's what i wanted i wanted to create sacred space i wanted to create a space like i said earlier where where god shows up in the mist um and free zone came about because i am a janet jackson fan (laughs) i gotta tell you my janet story (laughs) i'm a huge janet jackson fan and she has a song called Free Zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the refrains that goes through it is let's get free. And so I was, I was looking for a place where, where queer trans people of color could just be free mm. and also feel the sacred. So, you know, I've, I've held space where people have come in and done group divination readings. Mm. You know, uh, people have come in and done body and breath work where we listen to everything from trap to gospel and in between. Mm. Um, and, and engaged in movement that like gets us in our body and, and gets us in our mind and allows for release. Um, and just really centering it around community and people whose voices aren't usually heard, but they're doing major work in the community. Mm. Um, so that's, that's the way I always try and engage anything that I'm doing or creating is like who, whose voice needs to be heard. Mm. That's really not, cause I, 
I have, I really struggle. I'm, I'm on the upper echelon of, of the millennials. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I just, I, social media, I hate it. I hate that I have to be on there. I hate that I have to promote. I hate that I have to, you know, but it's, it's one of those things. Gotta do it. <laughs> right. So, you know, navigating that and, and thinking through some people who I watch and admire who just sometimes don't get a lot of publicity. So that was one of the things that with that, that's an ethic that I carry in everything I do. Wow. Um, I don't, I don't need the people that are going to bring seats and, and, and feats to the place. I don't need people who are, you know, I, I, I think, I feel like oftentimes we see a lot of the same folks show up on flyers. We see a lot of, Talk you know, about it. Um, so I, I wanted to avoid that. Absolutely. And freeze on for us. And, 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 and I'm, I was one of those folks, full disclosure. Like, because everybody be like, you know, kid, you always, you, you really hypocritical right now. I recognize that I've made, you know, uh, I've had, I've had great success on the road and whatnot, made, you know, <laughs> a lot of, you know, uh, revival and whatnot coins. And I'm most appreciative, you know, the God be the glory, but it's absolutely true. And whatnot, I see the same people. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it's, <laughs> it's a negative all thing. Of us. I'm no, no, that's why I, I, I think it has but to I'm be saying, I'm saying it's a thing. Yeah, it's, oh, a it's, thing. It's, <laughs> it's such a thing going on. And you, and you recognize thing. who's, you know, who's not in the room, like you say, and some folks that are doing some major things or whatnot, and some folks that are just really gifted. Um, Oh, and not like really gifted, you know, but because they, you know, have not chosen, you know, to live within those constraints and to live by those rules or whatnot, um, publicly anyway, or whatnot, you know, they, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> they, you don't see them right or in, the, in, in our company or whatnot, you know, or, or, you know, when I was in that, you know, in that, because COVID, I think changes a lot too, or whatnot. Um, oh, yeah. It's interesting, yeah, to see, you know, how many of us have had to look inward as well or whatnot, but you see folks who are not there. So I think anytime you can create that kind of space, Space or create that kind of platform what do you say has been like one of you know just that one moment where you knew this is you know this was doing something or whatnot you know that that one experience where you're like yeah this is god is here god is in our midst yeah and i gotta be real transparent because since since COVID hit i haven't been doing anything with free zone because i couldn't i didn't have mm -hmm. the capacity yeah real talk. i didn't have the capacity um and and you know like i said earlier i am going to i'm putting my flyer up tomorrow um yeah. for alternatives to suicide groups for mm. for queer trans people of color um as a trained facilitator of that because it's beyond necessary right now I was gonna say, that's a good point because how has so how would you say you know the pandemic has affected you know that community or whatnot queer folks trans you know queer folks or trans folks of color or whatnot um how have they been hit you know well i'm just i I can't speak to how how people trans. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. I would not. I, I, there have been a lot of deaths. Mm -hmm. um, we've witnessed a lot of deaths over the course of of this this pandemic. I mean, and we always unfortunately witness these deaths, but I think it's just been heightened because we're all in the house. But for me, I think the concern is is the mental health like of mm -hmm. people. I see it all the time with people coming into the hospital. Mm. Who, are experiencing ideations, suicidal ideations and, and, and suicidalisms and, and struggling with their mental health. And that was um, the biggest thing for me with, you know, with connecting with students, you know, or whatnot, who are queer and they're at home. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. whatnot, you know, and so 
the college campus would typically be that place where they could be their freest, the freest version of themselves, um, whatnot. And now, you know, because they are home for six, seven, you know, months or whatever, having to figure out how to negotiate that, um, you know, you know, and how to make sense of that. And so there would be times where, you know, they couldn't do video chat or whatnot when we would be doing, you know, community kind of things or whatnot. There'd be times where, you know, they just like, I just need to text or whatnot, you know, and just make myself more available or whatnot, you know, to talk to them in ways um, where, you know, they weren't audible or whatnot, um, you know, and weren't visible or whatnot, you know, and even some of them having to revert back to, you know, ways of dressing or whatnot, you know, and, and you know, that, that appeases their parents or whatnot. And it just felt very, um, you know, foreign to, you know, to who they were trying to be or whatnot. So I do know it, it, it really affected a lot of them emotionally, um, you know, and mentally just to be at home and in the house or, when, you know, or when, for such a long period of time. So I can only imagine, you know, adults or whatnot, those who may be housing insecure or whatnot, you know, all these different things or, you know, the isolation, you know, the isolation. And for me, even myself, like I can speak to my own isolation, like just, just being by myself. Like I am very much an extrovert, like COVID, I'm an ambivert, but I lean more towards my extrovertness, you know, Um, and COVID has really exposed how much I re-energize by talking to random folks, mm. you know, like I said, I, I, I said earlier, I, I really miss bartending because that's an outlet for me. That's a, that's a different way of moving and being than having to sit with people and, and, and listen to their, their trauma and, and hold space for them, you know, in the hospital. Mm. Um, so the, the lack of outlets, the lack of, of, you know, for people who are in, domestic violence situations, mm. you know, queer and trans folks who are in the home with someone who is, is toxic. Mm. Um, so all of these things weigh heavily on a person's psyche and their mental health. So and, you start in these kind of groups. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's important. And I think like now is a time to like hold space for that and, and to have some real and raw honest conversations. Like the premise of, of alternatives to suicide is that, if people are provided, you know, a space to be able to express their their ideations without having to worry about cops being called, mm. then that's where the healing takes place. That's where, you know, if you're able to give voice to what you're feeling, you're going to be less likely to 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 do anything, you know. And 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 the 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 point behind the group is not to save folks. That's mm. not it. It's it's to engage people and then to also as a community come together and say hey this is what worked for me this is what this this is my experience with that and you kind of sharing stories mm-hmm. you know and and within that that communal exchange of, of it's not trauma bonding it's hey this is what i did in this moment when i had that that a similar ideation mm-hmm. maybe this will work for you um and i like i did that I, I ran those groups for four years and I never lost anymore. Wow. That is that's a testimony. A testimony. Wow. And I, I want to be able to be specific in offering that space for people of color though, you know, like for, for my folks. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I mean, well, you know, I'm I'm anxious to hear about that because so much of the of the care that we talk about you know around topics like this feel very white um so 
I'm very interested, you know, to hear what it, you know, means to kind of find those non-traditional, even I would say even in some ways kind of underground or whatnot. It speaks to that, you know, a mutual, you know, really mutual aid or whatnot and mutuality or whatnot. How do we create a world, you know, outside of policing and outside of those systems that we normally call on, you know, to to regulate quote unquote stuff like this, but actually they're not doing so. Um, so I'm interested to hear, you know, how that how that turns out and how that unfolds and particularly be starting it now. So some people got holiday blues, end of the year blues, yes. all these like the blues, blues, blues and whatnot. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see, you know, like yeah, I'm how that community takes shape and takes form. And I'm glad it's something that you're doing for sure. Indy, what about yourself? Like, I know you started Sanctuary to Seek and you've had a couple of things. Like, you've been digging into, I feel like, religious trauma for a while or whatnot. Um, it's kind of your your research and your work work or whatnot, but also from a practical aspect, it's your life's work or whatnot. Um, so just just i mean chop it up however you feel like of you know how are you curating healing or whatnot how do we curate healing or whatnot and just where did where did the idea you know for these things come from when did you you know first you know get the interest in biting your teeth on on topics like this yeah so um i'm gonna try to condense like a 12-year journey in like two minutes uh all right my brother um felt the call to preach when he was very, very young, like three and four. Um, and when you have someone who is eager to be in service to the church, um, you will find the most predatory type of religious relationships. Um, and so as someone who did not see themselves going to seminary, being in ministry or any of those things, um, I was always kind of the overprotective sister who would just sit and watch. Um, also, it was, yeah, kind of gay. So like, that was also a thing that I was working through, but I didn't think of it as a big deal, but it was. Um, and so I've always kind of been someone who was a back row type girl, someone who listened, didn't really, fit in anywhere, but was also a part of a lot of things. And then just noticing people's humanity in the midst of church. Um, mm. And it was always kind of fascinating to see the failings of man in the light of God. Right. Um, and so when I got to, by the time I had gotten to Duke, I had gotten um, tricked into doing youth ministry. Um, I say, tricked. really, <laughs> I say tricked because um if, if I was honest, I don't really love children that much. Like I like kids, but I like teenagers. I don't like little kids, um, except for my niece. Uh, and you know, the, my nieces and nephews that I've gained through seminary friendships, that's about it. Um, Normally it's F them kids every day. So <laughs> I do it as you. <laughs> I I was in youth and I was like building a youth ministry and I was a part of this very charismatic religious community here in Greensboro. And um, I started seminary and then I realized that when I started seminary, folks got jealous about me being in seminary and mm. punished me for it. Mm. Even though they were the ones who said God told me to go um they didn't really like it um and i got kicked out of a church just why do you why do you think that was okay 
Oh, did, sacred spot. It's a sacred spot. Okay. You don't they have to disclose as much as you want. Okay. So they not, can't harm yeah. me. They can't hurt me. You know, they can't take my MDiv. Um, <laughs> to be quite honest, it wasn't the most intellectually rigorous place to be in community. Mm -hmm. And I think someone like me, who is a very, who, whose worship is a form of it, is that interrogation and study and um, interrogating is, is how I prove myself to be faithful in worship. So asking I, why, I'm sorry, my, my line sister said we say a lot of big words, so yeah. I'm sorry, you trying to break it down. <laughs> yeah, oh, you picked the wrong one. You know, that's all I do is- The wrong two. <laughs> <laughs> I read, um, no, but no, you know, spending time really like, trying to figure out the whys of faith and the mm -hmm. whys of people. And, you know, if God is a God of love, then how is something that is um, loving and edifying when the heterosexuality is totally not my portion? Um, mm -hmm. How could that be sinful, right? Wow. So, you know, asking those questions and really kind of wrestling with it, uh, it came to a head where it was like, they were about to endorse a bill that was um, North Carolina's oh. HB2 bill. Yeah, that was and a time, I, wasn't it? <laughs> Explain that a little bit, because I mean- Okay, I so the HB2 bill- If you're a nerd like me. <laughs> yeah, so the HB2 bill basically was about their way of kind of, um, of like preventing same-sex marriages, but they had all these like different little components that about like non-married folks, and it kind of lost some protection for even unmarried yep, heterosexual yep. couples. Yep. And so we had a lot of couples that were not married that had children, where the HB two bill would not have been good for them basically just flat out it was it was not going to serve in their best interest and so in an effort to hurt gay people they were really hurting yep. black and brown single parent families you right? had a lot of black folks that got hoodwinked too or whatnot um that's just be real you know, we bless god for the turnaround and the repeal of it but mm -hmm. you know i had wrote a really long letter to my um pastor at the time saying like this is important and we need to talk about it. And as a youth minister who is ministering these families, these are the kids who will be impacted by us saying and endorsing and saying to vote for HB2. And they were like, you can think what man thinks, but I'm gonna do what God says. And I knew then that my time was nearing to the end. Um, so it just was like a really trivial, trivial thing. I couldn't go to the leadership thing. They emailed my grandmother, who wasn't even a part of the church. They were like, you got to go. Wow. Yes. I mean, Raquel was there. She knew. It got ugly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hugh, we'll talk offline about that one. Um, <laughs> but basically, long story short, I got kicked out of the church. And all these years of me kind of talking about this and thinking about it, it wasn't until I lived it until I realized that there needs to be a space. Like it can't mm -hmm. just be, we can't rely on churches to continue to say they're places for people who have been harmed by the church because all they do is feed the cycle of violence over and over again. Mm -hmm. So all these hate that like this church had marketed itself as a safe haven for those who were spiritually abused. And then I had this very traumatic experience at this church. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it caused me to not really trust institutional churches for two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shout out to Byron, who like was just like, I'm going to be your pastor, even though you're not going to be a great church member. And I love you. And we're just going to write it out. Um, but pastor I, Byron Benton is who she is. Yes, from Mount Moriah. Um, <laughs> shout out to you. Um, that's the only props you're going to get this week. Uh, but, you know, and then I, you know, that I end up joining another community, but it was always on my heart that there needed to be spaces for one, there needed to be spaces for folks who were like me, who had experienced this harm, who felt a call, who felt, you know, a sense of wanting to do something religious, but knew that the traditional church wasn't the place to do it, to be able to work through their stuff, like just work through it let's talk about that right quick yes we we talk about that a lot you know um off i feel like offline or whatnot um because what what does it mean to work through your stuff i feel like we have a lot of people they have stuff and i think the stuff deeply informs what they do but we also see you know it, it 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 informs it or whatnot and it also in many ways you know blurs it you see a lot of people who you know uh that you know traumatic church experience is something they never move beyond or whatnot mm-hmm. um you know and they never you know really move past and it really becomes the very basis of their platform is the hurt trying to get your cat oh. your cat ran away she got a she got a a cat that just be wilding but <laughs> my, my daughter visa i dare Eudophia acts up sometimes but you know we love it we love each other. but we ain't got to be too you know because i know we i know we running out of time but i but i think you know it's just important yeah. i think for you as you curate spaces of healing or whatnot how you you know how we meet folks or whatnot um and sometimes you know i've been there or whatnot where nearly all you can do is harp on the trauma all you can do is harp on the pain all you can do is like you know like you know f it you know and you 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 never really leave that phase of like you know of f the church i ain't doing this i ain't going back or whatnot let me tell y'all why let me or whatnot so what does it mean you know what what does it mean for you i guess even or whatnot to work through your stuff or whatnot and how do you help people do that yeah, so there's a there's it's two components, right? So there's one component where a part of Sanctuary of the Seeking is to provide spiritual counseling for individuals. So folks who really want to wrestle with what do their faith mean, what does um, what does it mean to be spiritual? Um, or I'm, I found these practices that are way more edifying than what I've been used to. How do I integrate these practices into my everyday life? If I believe in the ancestors, does that mean I'm not Christian anymore? How do I define myself, right? So that's one component of mm. Sanctuary of the Seeking. The other one is really about ministerial education and consulting. Um, and so part of that is looking at like, how do we cultivate spaces, right? And so one of the things that um, I learned through my my studies in um, in seminary and you know now that I'm kind of working through for my PhD is is that often when there are significant traumatic events that happen within our faith experiences let's say you know being outed in a church community or you know someone calling you a hussy because your skirt was too short and experience some hyper policing, right? That type of experience becomes the bone that hits the nerve. And so what ends up happening is that you get to a place to say, when I get a church or when I get into a position of power, I will not do X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. Then you either do one or two things. Either you 
completely jettison to the other side and you do everything in your power to avoid that feeling of inadequacy and pain that you felt which causes harm to somebody else who may actually need some type of balance yeah. or you will hyper rationalize that experience of trauma and violence and say that's the only way to be church and you will double down and find another crucifying element to do that too so let's say Mm. You are a queer person and you want to join, you want to open, have an open and affirming queer church, right? So if you don't work out your issues pertaining to how you were policed with your sexuality, you may turn that into gender and you might go for our gender queer or trans folks, they may experience this type of hyper policing and violence that you experience as a queer person in your faith community. So mm. it's this never ending cycle of we're constantly trying to find out who do we need to crucify in a community in order for us to go free. And so working through the stuff is to realize that there is no redemption in crucifixion, right? It's mm. the redemption is in resurrection. And so how do we find the pockets of resurrection within our own spiritual lives? And how do we preach that and build that to make community? Mm. You came, you came with bars tonight. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's exactly, I think, no. And I, and I, and I think that that's what's necessary. I think, you know, we always, and, you know, we've talked about it, I feel like here, you know, mm -hmm. when you're deconstructing or whatnot, but then you get to a place where you ask, what am I building or whatnot? Like, mm -hmm. what am I, um, you know, what am I creating or whatnot? What am I imagining? Um, and I think that's what, you know, hopefully a conversation even like tonight or whatnot that people, you know, you know, not because of or um or in spite of but just after right because we don't know why painful experiences happen and i'm not mm -hmm. trying to over rationalize or spiritualize that but recognizing that you can create something from it right um mm -hmm. and that you can create spaces um of abundance and of flourishing or whatnot for you know communities that have been marginalized out of it but so many people it becomes very difficult to move past that space, that space of pain and that space of trauma. And partly because we don't have nobody to, you know, to help us through it or whatnot. Like, you know, and we just don't have, you know, these kind of conversations around, like, you know, I didn't know what the word religious trauma was until I really met you, right? Or whatnot, um, and you began, you know, and I was like, oh, that's why, like, you know, you know sometimes, you know, whatnot, we talk a lot about the, about the hooping or whatnot, um, you know, that for some people, you know, people who've been traumatized in church or whatnot, you know, my loud, ain't he all right? Could be very triggering, <laughs> um, you know, and being able to, you know, to to recognize and you know, and you know, I mean, it's it's in my tradition, it's what's natural to me or whatnot. But sometimes you never know if people have heard somebody scream them down that you know that they're uh, you know being is a sin that you know that that who they are is against you know that that you know that sometimes it's not even about what I'm saying, it's about how I'm saying it um, that takes them back to that place um, or whatnot. And so learning those different modalities or when you know that help people even just be able to come to the table and have a conversation with me or when I and I, I want to say like when we're thinking about trauma-informed ministry especially in the era era of COVID and beyond right like as we're trying to reimagine it is not saying that it's not okay to hold the traditions that make yeah. us church, right? Absolutely. It's saying, how do we invite pockets of newness? How do we invite different ways to absorb different information? How do we um, expand these notions to give room and give credence to our personal practices that we have now developed and explored within our own personal journeys? Like, you yeah. know, the fact that there are over 
three, two, 250,000 plus people dead, right? We got to take some time to understand what that means when it comes to ancestry, right? Like yes. the fact that we didn't get to say goodbye, the fact that we still yes. feel the presence. You get to have no funerals. There are people yeah. who don't know where their family members are. Yeah. They don't know. And so if they, if you want to light a candle and put a glass of water out and put a tea light out and say, I, I wish you well on the journey as we figure this out, that's not sim to come around and talk about what's sinful and what's not sinful. That's not helpful because we are a people that are not only just about a talking faith or a listening faith. We are a people of ritual. We mm -hmm. believe in practices. We believe mm -hmm. in grounded things that tether us to this side and the beyond. That is something mm -hmm. that is inherent within blackness. It's inherent within queerness. There's mm -hmm. always this sense of having, of being here, but not here. And mm -hmm. we've always been able to dance yes. those lines. And so I think like when we're thinking about what it means to reimagine and why Sanctuary of the Seeking exists, it's to give us the tools to be able to understand why we waddle these worlds. I am churchy because when, you, <laughs> when you start, you know, talking to, you know, just with 22 worlds, that just gets me. I'm sorry. that Because, you know, I, even at work and stuff, I think I have more, they just don't get it. Like, like y'all don't even, like, I'm here, but I'm not here. Like, so they, you know, and just being able to, 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 to have that connection or whatnot. And if I did not have that kind of spiritual framework, wouldn't have survived this year. Oh, not like you do not. I would you know not be working here oh, if I did gosh. not have something no, that tethered me from this world to the next. It just wouldn't happen. Because if this world was all that was, <laughs> like, <laughs> like you, like, that's all. <laughs> and then also not getting so caught up in the other world, though. Like right. that's to the point where we miss, yeah, the here yep. and now. Yep. Yeah. And I that's what it, it's the, it's about that grounding, right? Like there's it's either you're too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Yeah. Or you're too you're too rooted in carnality that you all of it spirit, right? Like there has to be balance. And I think exactly. there's there's something to be said about how and I don't know, Q, if you, you kind of feel this, is that there's when you're a part of a marginalized community, because you don't necessarily exist in the worlds concretely, you, mm -hmm. you tend to have a more grounded awareness about how you navigate the world because you don't really, you know, my queerness makes me a better Christian. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. cannot, I, I like, when I say that, that God called me to be queer, I mean that. Like, God called me to be a queer person because, like, if not, I would be trash. Like, I just, mm -hmm. I'm not, I wouldn't be able to, to withstand, but it's something about seeing people mm -hmm. outside of their performance, outside of yeah. the, the, the robing and the markings and the dressings that like because i am because i know that my queerness makes me aware of my humanity a lot more mm. that i see humanity and other, and other people and because my queerness makes me see how people's roles um superimpose their humanity it makes yeah. me more aware and more accountable for how i walk in my world and i just think like that's just part of it like i think that's that's the role that's the work that like we do when we're talking about queering the sacred spot that's what we're talking about is like how do we allow ourselves to see each other and see that all flesh right is divine mm 
Mm. and all divine is flesh mm. and like that that's that's a that's a different way of kind of interacting especially when you come from like my background which is like charismatic non-denominational churches right which deny is like, the flesh yeah deny it you know pentecostal flight where like i've been told to crucify a flesh for 30 years and then i just gave myself permission to realize that god said yes to my flesh and i'm like wow Look how healthier I am. I'm not as depressed anymore. I'm not. I can actually see the joy in the Lord. Like, God can hold on. Yes. yes. What? God God actually loves me. Yeah. God, every fiber of your being, right? Like, every fiber of your being. I'm just getting over the fact that God deems me worthy. Like, that alone changed my life. Like, when I realized that, like, my issues with worth were deeply tied to how I was formulated in church. Oh my God. And once mm. I stopped that, I became a new person. Girl. Yes. Yes. Wow. That is, that's <laughs> it right there. Yeah. Man. And it took so long for me, it took so long to get to that place to, to feel worthy in my body. <laughs> mm. and, and that god was not felt i was worthy in my and it's not big stuff too it's small things like worthy to live like i'm worthy enough to live wow like wow. i'm worthy Just enough to be alive mm-hmm. i'm worthy enough to put on clothes i'm worthy enough to have housing i was gonna say i deserve a house <laughs> i deserve i deserve i deserve to be able to like share my like share twenty dollars in mutual aid like i deserve to be able to have that privilege and right to sew into other people's lives like all of that stuff was stuff that i didn't even know was something because i felt like i wasn't worthy enough to have things and we were programmed that we weren't because Mm -hmm. of sin right so I feel like that's going to have to be the, the, the part two, three, because the sin word is coming up. <laughs> and for so many people, even I, I think you, what you said was so profound earlier of just of people are surviving, right? Or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So the coping strategies that people are using um, to to survive <laughs> this season or whatnot, you know, or whatnot, you know, there's so many of us, you know, that's all we know is, you know, is to put it in that box of sin or whatnot. Um, and, you know, even queering a space or whatnot that for, you know, for so many people, just the idea of doing that, that, you know, is what they have defined, you know, as sin. And I think that's, that's the next conversation that the church really has to have um, or whatnot. And that those who are, you know, faith first, cause I mean, that's all I see, you know, we're not particularly, you know, with, with our age, you know, even when we talk about ancestral stuff, we talk about sage, all the conversations is just, <laughs> you know, is it sinful or is it not? <laughs> like, not, you know, does it, does it curate healing for me? Not, does it make me feel more whole? Does it make me feel free? Does it make me feel better? Or what not? Is it, it is, does this arbitrary being outside of me consider it sin or not? Um, and that becomes the grounds, um, you know, over how I feel about it. And so I think we really need to have a more complicated conversation or not on what sin is quote unquote oh <laughs> now you know um that i think you know a lot of a lot of what we call is so rooted in anti-blackness um you know it's it's deeply anti-black and, and you know and how do we get beyond that so i think you know i think that matters but but you got to get to a com- you know you can't get to a conversation on worth until you do it i think or whatnot you know and, and recognizing you know, we talk about inherent worth and inherent dignity. Well, now, what does that really mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of people just say, well, that means I respect your, you know, your, you know, I respect your right to live, you respect mine. But what do you really mean when you say that? Like, well, not. 
I think a lot of people, they, you know, figured out how to say that to be politically correct, but no, what does it really mean or whatnot that you think that, you know, that I think that I'm worthy or whatnot, you know, and that you also think that I'm worthy, like you say, of basic things, food, housing, shelter, or whatnot, like I'm worthy of a quality life (laughs) or whatnot, you know, and, and for so many folks, you recognize that, you know, they don't see it like that and they don't sense it like that. And so I think, yeah, it's it's definitely going to have to be a second querying or whatnot (laughs) so we can pull it together. No, but even as we, as we, as we close, we, uh, one question that we always ask, and before we go, since we've been talking about ritual indie, Dear, I want you to do a closing ritual for us or whatnot. You know, I, uh, I would love to have that um, for folks or whatnot. The one question we always end with is, you know, what are you doing to heal yourself and others or whatnot? I, me and Dustin typically ask, you know, if from week to week um, or whatnot. So, you know, I pose it all kind of ways or whatnot. We've talked a lot about the different things that y'all are doing. This has been amazing for me. I'm energized by the conversation or whatnot. I'm like ready to just, you know, dang, so much is going through my head or whatnot. But, you know, what in particular in these past couple weeks, like I say, as we're going into a second spike, the winter is coming, the holidays are coming, you know, what are you doing to facilitate healing in your own world um, and in your own soul? And, you know, and even if you care, you know, we talked a lot about how y'all are healing others or whatnot and helping others in that healing journey, you know, but what are you doing for you um, in this season? I'll go ahead since you're going to do the the ritual at the end. Um, Plants. I have always been a plant person. Um, I started a plant page on Instagram, the person who hates social media, but I found (laughs) a lot of joy in it. And, and it's in honor of my great grandmother who first person to hold me, we connected at the, you know, from, from the womb. Um, But you talk so beautifully about your great grandmother's hands, which I think is always beautiful. Yeah, she's uh, so it'll be ten years since she's been gone. Um, she died two days after my birthday, which is Christmas Eve, and she died on the twenty sixth ten years ago this month. So it's she's really been like walking with me heavy this month. Wow. Um, but yeah, through through my plants, my plants have been my saving grace throughout all of this also xbox like (laughs) you know because i think i'm 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 on so much and i'm constantly i'm holding so much um Mm -hmm. and i think i i I don't think i know a lot of my release comes through yeah leisure leisure and play yeah play is my 2k21 has been my friend <laughs> um oh, that's right. and my plants honestly like i my, my plants have given me a lot of life you know getting humidifiers and finding new ways to to cultivate new life through um um so and it's also been a place that i can channel all of the the things that i'm holding um one of the things that some of the healers i've been around have have like been stressing to me that i need to find is like a place to lay because i do a lot of you know, I hold a lot of grief and I do a lot of deaf work um, to lay the people that I'm holding who die. Mm. Um, so I feel like I've been able to place their spirits within my plants. Mm. Um, mm. And that has been a source of energy for my plants and also for me. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah, no, I, I forget you. You're, you're also um, a plant parent or whatnot, which I, I think a lot of folks have 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 become that during the pandemic. It's interesting to see a lot of millennial and Gen Z, uh, you know, uh, black uh, black folks. So when I get back into um, 
you know, just uh, plants and wildlife and nature. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Oh, not, you know, it is really beautiful to see. So that's what's up. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, now, India, what about yourself? What have you been doing to heal yourself? Um, spoiling my cat. Um, okay. <laughs> I just bought her a six-foot cat tree and a five-foot cat tree that actually has fake leaves around it so she can oh. feel like she's climbing a tree. Um, <laughs> and I got the matching shelves that I'm putting up today. Um, that is so, a spoiled cat. Yeah. I mean. You got the Taj Mahal over there. <laughs> and yet she loves the streets. So, um, you know, still trying to like, I just finished everything. So kind of like trying to wrap up and close some chapters that I have as far as like, um, I'm leaving my full-time job that I had. And so closing that chapter up so that mm-hmm. I can kind of pour my energy into the things that are like, redo more of the stuff on the sanctuary page because I kind of got started and then school happened and then it was like Mm. I don't got content for y'all right now like learn about spiritual trauma and then we'll get back together reconvene in January um and just you know trying to like dig more into my creative side I'm gonna learn how to make candles okay um, because I'm tired of spending money at the hoodoo shop to do it um (laughs) I'm just tired of paying that much money and candles every year. So I'm like, might as well learn how to do it myself. Um, you know, doing tarot, trying to get my year spread, trying to vision what I want 2021 to look like. I looked mm-hmm. at my 2020 year vision board and actually hit most of my goals. I was kind of shocked because, you know, we've been in a panorama, but it worked. Um, and cooking and mixing drinks, you know, just doing things that are creative that fuel my creativity um trying to feed my folks more because you know i've been door dashing through the semester um just doing things that kind of remind me of my humanity and like what makes me come alive um and yeah so it's just been cats and creativity all around the house doing a lot of little different projects that is awesome. I'm so glad you found you a furry companion. One that matches your energy because <laughs> hey, exactly. Oh, we're not. Well, I always try to answer it myself. I, I would say that, you know, one of the things that I've been really intentional um in recognizing, you know, is really Today, I, you know, I said no, <laughs> um, just something, oh, you know, I was asked by one of my mentors, <laughs> who I love dearly, oh, no, I don't know if he listened, oh, not, but, uh, you know, but, you know, he kind of asked me something that I just, I recognize I did not have capacity for, I had to do an end of the year report, <laughs> or whatnot, you know, um, and I, well, really two, or not, um, two end of the year reports, and I really need to work on that, or whatnot, I'm trying to really spend time, like I say, with my own sister cousin, um, and just, you know, just connect with some things that matter, or whatnot, and close out, you know, my desk before the end of the year, um, you know, and so I said, listen, I said, I would love to, or whatnot, I said, but I, I just don't have the space for it right now, and you know, there's always, the people pleaser in me is always like, ah, like, <laughs> or whatnot, you know, yeah, uh, and, and you know, and yeah, anyways, it's always difficult or whatnot. But when they responded with, you know, with such care of like, well, you know, don't worry, or whatnot, like, I, I got you or whatnot, you know, and, and, and we'll circle back next time or whatnot. So I was grateful for that or whatnot. And I'm just glad I'm learning. I think that's something I've had to learn a lot within the past two months or whatnot, you know, and sometimes it's really being super busy and just sometimes just emotionally, I just, just capacity. I just, I just, I can't like, or whatnot, you know, like just recognize that you can't be a robot. Um, 
when you know when it comes to preparing sermons and bible studies and all that is deeply emotional work that you have to be very mentally present to and so kudos to you know all of our pastors and folks who've had to like do it week in and week out in this pandemic um but as as my sister there is like i'm tapping into my humanity i'm recognizing that you know uh, this is you know uh the first holiday season you know that i'm without some major figures in my life or whatnot and so i i have to be present to that um and allow myself to be present to that whereas the old me would have worked through it <laughs> um would not like and not work through it as in work through my emotions but i would have found a way to just be busy, be on the go, and just, just you know, just work, 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 or whatnot, you know, a workaholic is, is, is really, um that's, that, that is really one of my coping mechanisms or whatnot, you know, used to always say, preaching is my therapy, and recognizing now, it can't be, like, that's cute to say, but no, like, I need to actually go to therapy, I need to actually, like, sit down and be sad and not perform, oh, and I, so, like, it can't be, oh, and I, like, you know, I still love it, and I, you know, kudos to everybody who, it does that for them, but, it's not healthy for me at this point in my life. So I was very glad that I was able to, you know, really say no, stand confident in that and still uh, retain that relationship. Right. Or not, um, you know, not being fearful of, of losing certain relationships because I can't perform in the ways that I used to <laughs> um, or not. You know, I think that's, that's been a huge learning curve for me this year. So that's, that's been a healing modality for sure. But thank y'all. This has been amazing. Like, <laughs> you know, like I say, we, we move under the auspices of the Holy Ghost or the spirit or whatnot. So, you know, the conversation just took, you know, all kind of, you know, turns and twists and whatnot, but I think it was just so necessary because I think the work y'all do is so important. It ain't always recognized. It ain't always honored, um, but it's important. And also who y'all are, who would not, you know, being able to navigate these ministerial spaces and show up, you know, as your full self, as your authentic self or whatnot, and giving other people permission to do it. You've done that, you know, for me and my life or whatnot. And so I'm glad to have y'all, you know, in the space when I, um, and, you know, to, to actually, you know, we only, uh, we always joke about our, our viewership. I think, <laughs> whopping, I think we had a whopping about 200 now or whatnot, but them 200 matter, <laughs> like six of them is me and Dustin, but, but, but they matter. So for them 200 folks, so that we, glad for sure oh and I, but indira she's gonna close us out with a closing ritual um just with something to center us and ground us because that's really what we've been talking about a lot in this conversation and so wherever you are i live by the train which is goodness clinton south carolina get it together but we're gonna try to get it as quiet as possible and as calm as possible um and she's gonna close us out um with our closing word for the week so thank y'all for tuning in thank y'all for joining us and we hope you enjoy this time okay so if you can close your eyes, if not, just find a moment of centered and calm. And I want to invite you into what's called a reflective exercise, a place for you to find some grounding and securities. So I'm gonna invite you to take deep breaths as you're comfortable, take deep breaths in, hold for two seconds, and then release. Take another deep breath in, Breathing in gratitude for this day, breathing in gratitude for this time, this space. We hold in the goodness of the divine creator that loves and cares and gives us, and we release that which doesn't serve our highest self. I want you to think back in your mind's eye to the last time that you felt held, that you felt touched and cared for. I want you to, in your mind's eye, I want you to think about what 
the person smelt like, what the person had on, what was the fabrics, was it itchy, was it soft, was there perfume, was it sweat, was it tears? And as you are inviting things, I invite you to take your arms and hold yourself, knowing that that touch hasn't gone away, it's still a part of you, that that sense of safety and comfort and care and touch is still present. I invite you to take a deep breath in, remembering the smell and the sights and the touch, remembering the laughter and the, and the teasing and the ribbing that came on from the last time that you shared a moment of levity. Remembering that this is not a permanent space, that you can always remind yourself that you are constantly being held by the divine, held within yourself, grounded and secure. I want you to take another deep breath in, breathing in gratitude for this space, breathing in gratitude for the time that we are sharing and knowing that as you are holding yourself, we are holding you. I want you to release the fears of isolation, release the lies that you are only what you produce and know that you are simply because you exist. And as we go for one more round of breaths, we invite you just to take a deep breath in, to give thanks and to give praise for the day. And as you release, I invite you to open your eyes and be present here and now. I'll say amen. Amen. Take care. We'll see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Sacred Spot a podcast that seeks to provide a brave, open, welcoming, and affirming space for Black faith practitioners and higher ed professionals in order to develop restorative practices rooted in healing and wholeness from an African diaspora-centered perspective. Please remember to like, comment, and share, and we'll see you next time.